If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're, we're going to continue on this series of sermons that are looking at the parables of Christ. Last week we saw the sower, the, <laughs> the sower, the seed, and the soils. This week we're looking at his um, metaphor about a lamp. And not just a lamp, but the lamp. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just say that uh, over this past uh, past 36 hours uh, or longer, uh, we have seen God take the hearts and lives of individuals and transform them for all eternity. And that should never be treated as commonplace, for it is the greatest miracle that could ever happen, and it happens right before our eyes. Someone who is dead has come to life. Someone who is blind can now see, and we get to be a part of that. And so, church, I want to encourage you uh, and pray. I pray that you might taste just a little bit uh, of what uh, has happened over these last few hours uh, in our church. And it is an amazing, amazing thing. All right. Well, here's what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus says uh, that, uh, I probably ought to read specifically, verse 21, Jesus says, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Okay, so let's just, let's just talk about a lamp, the purpose of a lamp. We've got two lamps right here, and uh, uh, y'all go ahead and turn down the lights for me. And uh, there you have it. Those are two lamps. Now, what are these lamps supposed to do? Give light. Uh, now, are these lamps designed... Uh, to give warmth. Not really. Uh, they, they're, uh, they're producing a little bit of smoke, but, but you, you're not going to get warmed up with this lamp. Uh, is this lamp designed uh, to be uh, a, a, uh, a, 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 no, it's not, is it? That, I mean, a lamp is designed for one thing. What is that one thing? Light. Light. Okay. But if somebody comes along and decides, you know, I don't like that lamp anymore. So I'm going to blow that one out. And then here you have this lamp and don't like this lamp anymore. So I'm going to blow that out. What happens? No more light. Okay, you can bring the lights up. All right, so, so when Jesus is talking about a lamp, he, he's not being uh, uh, vague. Uh, he, <coughs> he's not being vague. He, he understands it, and, and everyone around him got it. You know, a lamp is not supposed to be covered up, especially, and we, we've lost sight of this because we have electricity, but especially in the Palestine culture and, and up until Thomas Edison, uh, you know, lamps were vital if you wanted to have any kind of activity after dark. I mean, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, uh, read. You, you, you really needed a lamp to eat dinner. That it was vital for, uh, for living. And, and, and they understood that the lamp is designed to dispel the darkness. Now, what Jesus is doing in, in, in Mark chapter 4, 21 through 25, he's saying that, that God has sent Jesus to give light into a dark world. That's, that's the purpose of this parable, to show us, to teach us that God sent Jesus to shine his light 
in this darkened world. Now, we live in a dark world. We live in a world that's darkened by by war and disease and pillaging and all that kind of stuff. And, and certainly that's true. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that's, uh, that, that's made even darker in our own personal lives when we go through our own uh, uh, seasons of darkness. And y'all know what those, oh, I'm, I'm talking about those depressing, despairing moments of our life where, uh, where we lose a loved one to death or uh, where we uh, have someone tell us that we have cancer or uh, where we uh, experience the, the heartache of, of uh, a relationship that's fractured. It, there are a lot of different avenues for, for those moments and seasons and shades of darkness to hit us. So we live in that kind of... But we ultimately live in a world darkened by sin. See, it, it's... it's it, it's sin that has created this darkness. Darkness wasn't really, and I'm not talking about night versus day darkness. I'm talking about the, the deep down darkness, uh, that, that darkness that, is, that, is, uh, that, that saturates and soaks your soul with despair. That, that's the darkness I'm talking about. I'm talking about darkness that, give, that deals death with it. I'm not talking about just the absence of, of daylight. I'm talking about that, that spiritual and emotional darkness that takes place. And the reason we have this spiritual and emotional darkness is because of sin. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and, and, and it wasn't like that. It wasn't, there was not that deep spiritual and emotional darkness that, that took root over the first man and woman. But because of sin, all of a sudden everything changed and there was a separation between God and humanity created by sin. And because of our sin, there is that separation between us and God that, that propels us even deeper into a darkness. And we live in a world where sin has saturated the hearts of every human person. And because of that sin, there is a deep, deep, darkness. And it was the same in Jesus' day as well. And darkness probably is, is portrayed most specifically through death. Now, when, when you think of death, you think of uh, the dark shades. You don't, you don't think of the vibrant colors, not naturally. And so as we, as we look at our lives and as Jesus was talking to the people around him, and he talked about a lamp being put in a room, he was talking about something bigger and deeper than just putting a lamp in a room. As Jesus begins, he talks about a lamp. Is a lamp to be brought and hid under a basket or put under a bed? And of course, that's senseless. But to break that apart, we need to understand what Jesus was saying. <coughs> Jesus was not just talking about a lamp. He was, he was using a metaphor, right? A metaphor. Y'all ready for this? A little English lesson. Y'all know what a metaphor is, where you use something like a lamp to, per, to portray something deeper or more significant than just a lamp. And so Jesus was painting a metaphor. But what was the metaphor? What did the lamp represent? Now, in the Old Testament, a lamp represented several different things. It represented the Word of God. 
Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? Psalm 119. So God's word is, is a lamp. And we know that, that, that God himself was a lamp to the children of Israel. We know that God's uh, kingdom is described as a lamp in the prophets. But here, <coughs> in this passage, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus uses lamp in a more specific way. Now, in order to get where Jesus is coming, we've got to break down the language a little bit. All right? So your translation may read something like this, uh, just as mine did, uh, is a lamp uh, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed. Is a lamp brought. Now, you underline brought there. Now, your translation may have something different there, but if I may, let me just kind of talk about the words, the verb there, brought. The verb for brought most naturally is a verb, a Greek term, pharaoh, P-H-E-R, long O, okay? And that naturally means to bring or to be brought, okay? But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is a Greek verb, erkomai, E-R-C-H-O, long O, M-A-I, erkomai. Now, why is that significant? Well, because erkomai doesn't mean brought. Erkomai means is coming. And it doesn't really make sense. Will anyone, is a lamp coming to be put under a bushel or put under a bed? In other words, the language of the text says that the lamp shows up. Not that somebody goes and gets a lamp off a shelf and puts it in the center of the room, but rather that the lamp has the power to, to show up on the scene of human history. So does that help us understand a little bit more about the lamp? Well, I think so. I, I think as we look at, at, at what Jesus is saying, he's not talking about just a lamp and he's not talking about just the kingdom of God or the word of God, but he's talking about himself. See, Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the lamp that God has sent into this dark world, not to be hidden, not to be kept secret, not to be overcome by the darkness, but Jesus is the lamp brought into this world to shine brightly the nature, the character, and the very person of God. Jesus has come, sent by God to show you and me how to find hope and joy and life and love, how to be forgiven, how to get rid of the darkness. Jesus is that lamp. And the truth is that Jesus is the lamp and he shines a very specific and particular light. John chapter 1 verse 14 verse 18 tells us that that Jesus came to shine the light of who God is, to, to reveal God to you and me. See, remember, the reason we're dwelling in darkness and, and experiencing the dismal swamp of despair in our own soul is because of our sin. And our sin has separated us from God. So Jesus has come into the darkness to dispel our ignorance and our separation and to show us God. 
to connect us with God. Not just in an impersonal, I can see God kind of way, but in a very personal, I get to know God kind of way. I get to know God. I I get to know who he is and how he operates in this world. I see Jesus and Jesus shines the light of who God is. His love, his grace, his mercy, his holiness, his majesty, his righteousness. And as I, as I see Jesus and as he shines the light of who God is into my darkness, then the despair shrinks back into the corners and hope is born. Now that... It's what God sent Jesus to do. God sent Jesus to dispel the darkness and to bring light into your world. Light of peace and comfort. Light of mercy and grace. Light of truth and righteousness. Light of victory and joy and love and hope. Jesus is the lamp. And God did not send Jesus into our world to be hidden or to be kept secret or to be overcome by the darkness. God did not send Jesus into our world to be hidden or to be kept secret or to be overcome by the darkness. But for the followers of Jesus and as he's speaking, there, there was for them that sense of... Uh, Is Jesus really who he is? Because he's a man. He's walking this earth. There was a sense of secrecy there. They they couldn't see all of God's glory. They, they, they They couldn't grasp all that Jesus was shining forth. Part of it was because it wasn't time yet. Now, they would catch glimpses. They would catch glimpses of this light. They they would catch glimpses when Jesus would heal the sick and and give sight to the blind and make the the deaf to hear and and the lame to walk. They they would catch glimpses in those miraculous movements of of Christ. At the end of chapter 4, Jesus uh, and the disciples leave the seashore where where he's teaching all these parables. And they go out into the Sea of Galilee and a storm falls down on them and, 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 and... and, and the, the sailors, even the fishermen in the boat were scared because the storm was so fierce. And Jesus stood up and he whispered. And the storm stopped and the waves ceased. Oh, they got a glimpse as Jesus shined the light of God's glorious power in that moment. But it got really hard for them. I mean, really, really hard for them. It got really hard for them when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come and they arrest Jesus. And the darkness began to deepen in the hearts of his followers. It got even more difficult for them when they feared for their own safety and they abandoned Jesus and despair began to grip their hearts and became unbearably difficult for them. 
as they watched Jesus hang on a cross and die. Now, we had the benefit of the rest of the story, but they didn't. I mean, remember where they were sitting. They were sitting at the foot of a cross where their savior, their, their, their king, their teacher, their master, the one they thought that was Messiah, he's dead. Real blood flowing down his side, off his feet, off his brow. He's dead. He's not breathing anymore. His body's growing cold and darkness has won, they thought. But God didn't send Jesus to be hidden or to be kept a secret or to be overcome by the darkness. Again, look in verse 22 and 23. 22, there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light kind of ominous phrasing there. It's a proverb. It it makes sense that if it's secret, it's going to come to light. If it's hidden, it's going to be revealed. Essentially, Jesus is giving us insight into the very purpose of God that even though in his death, everything seems dark, the light's about to burst. even, Even though Jesus was betrayed and 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 arrested and abandoned and beaten and killed. That, that's not the end of the story. Even though he's dead and put in a borrowed tomb, that's not the end of the story. The darkness and sin and hell itself shriek in laughter thinking they've won. They think darkness has now won over all things. But that's not the end of the story. God didn't send Jesus to be hidden or to be kept a secret. Or to be overcome by the darkness. And in the midst of the disciples and followers of Christ, in the midst of their own deep darkness, in the midst of their own despair, in the midst of their own grief and sorrow and and, and frustration at where they were on that Friday that Jesus died and on that Saturday... God moved with his gracious love out of a rescuing love for his own beloved son, Jesus Christ, and out of a love for sinners like you and me. He burst into the deep darkness and he called forth his son and Jesus was raised from the dead to give us hope in the midst of our darkness and despair. See, that's where it all begins. The light is unleashed in our world. In that moment... Jesus Christ shows us who God is. Now, big picture for us. That's big picture. Let let me kind of narrow it down a little bit. See, first of all, for us to escape the darkness and find the light of God's uh, love and hope and peace and comfort and mercy and grace and forgiveness and victory, for us to take hold of that, it has to begin with our sin and our relationship with God. Jesus is the lamp who shines the light of who God is into our world. And in shining that light into your world, he reveals your sin. 
And in revealing your sin, he reveals your separation from God, the cause of the darkness, the cause of the dismal swamp of despair that, that, that seems to, to, to grow in your soul. It, it's, it's, not, it's not your circumstances. It's, it's not your relationships primarily. It is your relationship, lack of relationship with God. This barrier created between you and God by your sin is hopelessness that you cannot overcome. But God sent Jesus not to be hidden, not to be kept secret, not to be overcome by the darkness. God sent Jesus to die in your place upon the cross. The very death of Christ begins to make sense. God purposed it so that you and I might have a chance at forgiveness. And when we by faith cling to Christ and by faith repent our sin and lay all that we are at the feet of Jesus in that moment, we are forgiven forever and we taste victory for the very first time. We taste hope for the very first time. For we live for the very first time. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the light piercing our darkness, our personal darkness. But friends, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. See what happens for us as followers of Christ is we, especially in the Baptist world, all right, and, and those who are like us, um, we have this big conversion experience. And man, I'm all about that. You know, there has to be a moment where you cross from darkness to light. I once was blind, now I see. So, so there is that crossing of the line where I didn't have a relationship with God, now I do have a relationship with God. You know, if I was dead and all of a sudden I came alive, that point in time would be pretty clear to me. Right? So, so there, is that, there is that conversion, but here's what happens for us. We make everything about that moment. That's the end of the story. We make everything about that moment. Boy, woo, you are saved. Born again. Right? Good language, true language. But we are also being saved. We are also being born again. It's not just that moment. But it's our everyday life. See, Jesus, Jesus wants to pierce the darkness that surrounds you as well. I, I, I think to myself how much uh, comfort I would have if I knew that Jesus was piercing the darkness of my circumstances. If, if he was in charge of dispelling that darkness, of chasing it away. Boy, that would make a difference for me because here's the one who actually conquered death itself. This is the one who gained the greatest victory over the greatest enemy that we've known, Jesus. And man, if he's fighting for me, boy, I think I can be okay. Because Jesus doesn't lose battles. And he is the lamp. That God has sent into my world. Not just the world, but into my world. To dispel the darkness. See, it is hugely about that point in time where we come to know Christ, where our sin is forgiven, that we were dead and now we 
live, that, that we were in darkness, but now we are in light. That's the language that Paul uses, and certainly that's true, but we are now in light so that we can experience the rescuing love of a living Savior every single day that we live. We are more than conquerors, Paul wrote, because we're smart or because we're cute because we're knowledgeable, because we're religious? No, we are more than conquerors through Christ. It's in the person of Christ that the light of God's rescuing love comes to bear on the darkness of our everyday circumstance. So you got relationships that are filled with darkness. It's time to turn to Christ. And let him pierce that darkness. You have darkness in your own attitude. Maybe you've got a stinking attitude. And that's been a st- And if you don't know if you have a stinking attitude, ask somebody around you. Probably somebody that won't live with you, doesn't have to put up with the stinking attitude you'll have when they're honest with you. But ask somebody close. Ask somebody in your Bible study group, your small group. I, no, what do we call them now? Yeah, ask somebody in your life group. They'll tell you. If you really want to know, come ask me. I promise you, I'll be honest with you. Because after all, you're honest with me. So, here, here we are. And we got a stinking attitude. Now what do we do with that? Oh, we're not happy with a stinking attitude. We want to escape that. It, it's only a source of greater d- despair in our life. So how do we escape? Well, let's cry out to Jesus. Set our heart and our head and our hands to him. Let him fix our stinking attitude. Y'all know that that's what the whole letter of a Philippians is all about. From beginning to end, it's about that. See, Jesus is the lamp that God has sent into our world to dispel the darkness, to shine the light of his rescuing love, uh, of, of his comfort and his grace. Maybe you're going through tragedy. Maybe you're experiencing the trauma of difficult days or, or, or circumstances so big you don't see how you can manage. Maybe you're in the midst and the fix of that moment. Then, then here's my suggestion. Go to Jesus. Cry out to him. Cling to him. You know, I, 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 there is a reason I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I, just hold on, there's a point. <laughs> the reason I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan was because when I was a kid, I was going to hitch my wagon to the winning team. And they were the winning team. Until they started playing the Steelers. I wanted to hitch my wagon to the team that that I thought had the greatest chance at victory every week. Roger Stallback, Robert Newhouse, Tony Dorsett, Randy White, Ed, Too Tall Jones, Harvey Martin. Not the Harvey Martin that goes to our church, but different. <laughs> I remember those players. I remember, I remember how they played the game, and I thought, man, we could win every week. And that's why I became a Dallas Cowboys fan. 
It is natural for us to want to to hitch our wagon to the winning team. Well, friends, let's just be wise here. I know that I don't win everything that I try, but I know that Jesus has. See, God didn't send Jesus to be hidden or to be kept secret or to be overcome by darkness. He raised Jesus from the dead and he shined the glorious light of his rescuing love and his victorious power and the comfort that we can receive every single day. For if God can conquer death, hell, and the grave, he can certainly handle what's going on in my world right now. God sent Jesus to shine this light of glorious hope. But what do we do with that? I mean, how do we respond to that? See, that's part of the problem that we have. We look at that and we'll say amen and praise the Lord and hallelujah. But, but how do we take this light that Jesus is shining and, and apply it to our everyday moments? Well, I think that's what Jesus is getting at in verses 24 and 25. Or verse 23 says, uh, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So what's he saying here? Well, Jesus just said, the lamp is there so that we can experience its light. And Jesus has come so that we might taste the light of God's rescuing powerful love. But if we're going to apply it to our lives, then we need to pay attention to what we're listening to. We, we need to pay attention to what we hear. That's, that's what Jesus said in verse 23, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, wake up. We looked at it last week, and that phrase. He said, now it's time for you to take what you're hearing and apply it to your life. Wake up. Then verse 24, take heed what you listen to. Take heed what you pay attention to. I don't know. Is it just me or do you all ever have voices inside your head? Okay, I I found a few friends in the room. You have these voices inside your head and They say, man, you've blown it so bad, there's no way anybody can love you. There's no way that you can overcome this. You have voices inside your head that says, says, hey, listen, you're smart enough. Handle it on your own. You don't need anybody else to help you. There are voices inside your head that say, hey, let's go to, to Las Vegas lifestyle, baby. It'll be all right. No worries. And voices inside our head tell us a lot of things. But the reason we lose hope as followers of Christ is because we're listening to the wrong voices. The reason we return to the dismal swamp of despair in our our soul is because we're listening to the wrong voices. We're listening to the voices inside our head when we should be listening to the voice of Jesus Christ, the King who conquered death. 
I talked about this last week in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the winds came, and the rains fell, and the floods rose, but the house stood. Why did the house stand? Why? It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's built on the rock. If you and I are going to experience the shining light of God's rescuing love in our everyday experience, we need to listen to what Jesus says. To listen to what Jesus said is more than just, oh, I'm listening, I'm taking notes. It's actually doing what Jesus says. Jesus said, hey, listen, if you've got ears to hear this, you better hear it. Pay attention to what you're listening to. We love to listen to the voices inside our own head. It's easy. It doesn't take a lot of work. But it will lead to disaster. But if we listen to Jesus speaking to us today, it will always lead to hope. Pay attention to what you hear. And then secondly, the greater obedience, the greater the blessing. That's verse 24, second part of verse 24 and 25. Jesus said, hey, listen, if you obey here, that's, that's like receiving a measure of stuff. And, and you're, you receive this measure of Jesus speaking, Jesus saying, this is what you need to do. You say, okay, I've received that. I'm going to obey that. Then Jesus says, I'm going to give you some more. And you receive that and you obey that. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you some more. And the more he gives, the more blessing from God we receive. But if we aren't going to obey, then it would be as if we had no blessing at all. Guys, for us to live in hope every day, to, to taste and experience the, the bright warmth of, 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 of Christ's love and comfort and mercy and grace and, and life and, and forgiveness and joy and peace, for us to taste that light, we've got to obey that light. See, many of us are living, as followers of Christ, we're living in the dismal swamp of despair, not, because, not just because we're listening to our own voices, but because we're refusing to obey the things that we know Jesus has told us to do. And you know he's told you to do it. And you still refuse to obey. And you wonder why it is you're depressed and sad and sorrowful and shrinking in the corner, dwelling in the dark. See, today's the day for that to change. This is the moment that God has given us to open our eyes and to cling to Christ and to cry out to Him for Him to navigate our path and to comfort us along the way. See, there there are times when I think I'm really kind of smart. You know, I think I'm smart enough to handle what's going on in my world. 
and the darkness begins to swoop down, and I look at the darkness, and I say, you know, I'm up for that task, and so I'm going to handle it. I listen to the voices in my own head, and I'm not looking to be obedient to God. I'm not even looking to see what he has to say about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to navigate on my own because, you know, I'm pretty smart. And God says, okay. And the darkness falls even deeper, and I start walking around as a blind man in the dark. And I bang my toes and I bruise my knees and I bust my shin. And pretty soon I'm sitting in the corner alone in the dark, overwhelmed by my own despair. Because I thought I was pretty smart. And what I must do in that moment is to stop listening to the voices in my head and doing things my own way. What I must do in that moment is very simple. I cry out to Jesus, my Savior, and I ask for his help. And immediately, Jesus walks into my darkness, and the dark shadows begin to creep And run away because the light has come. And Jesus looks down to me and he soothes my bruises and my brokenness. And he takes me by the hand and he lifts me up and he pulls me into his warm embrace and he says, Follow me. And in that moment, hope and comfort and peace and joy and life returns. My question to you, will you cry out to Christ? Will you follow him?